You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and joining me for this episode is a special guest, Ryan Shumpert. He is a beat writer for RockyTopInsider.com. I'm not just bringing him on here because that's where I used to work at, but also because he covers basketball there for RTI and has been to all of Tennessee men's basketball's practices. I was there for Tennessee's media day on Tuesday, so I wanted to get kind of an inside look of someone who's been there, who's seen practices, who's talked to the coaches, and get a, a really good feel on where the team is. You know, Gene and I have talked about the team a lot and given our thoughts on based on different reports and stuff we've seen from people, but I, I wanted to talk to someone who's been there. I re- you know, remember going to practice and stuff myself when I was, uh, of course, the managing editor at RTI. Um, so I, I know more or less what it's like there. I, I wanted to get a, a, a you know thoughts and stuff from someone who's been there and, and seen it all firsthand. You know, what, what the uh, coaches and stuff allow them to see because, you know, there's just like football, you don't get to see everything. And especially this past weekend, you know, the, the scrimmage or whatever you want to call it, exhibition, whatever you want to call it, with Davidson on Saturday was close to the media. So, you know, there have been reports and stuff out there about that, but nothing from Tennessee's side of things. So we don't know anything official um, about that game, quote unquote. So really wanted to bring Ryan on here to talk about what he has seen from the practices that have been open to the media and what Rick Barnes and uh, Coach Swartz and everything I had to say on Tuesday during Tennessee's media day. And just get his thoughts and, and just what do you think about the team right now? What do you think about the team overall in the future as well? And just a little kind of a note here, I'm going to try to do the same thing for the Lady Vols later on this week. I believe their media day is on Thursday, so I'm going to try to line up a guest for that. I have a couple people in mind. We'll be uh, see if they are able to do that. So be on the lookout, potentially, hopefully, for a similar episode for the Lady Vols when they have their media day on Thursday. Guys, the season's almost here for both teams, both the Vols and Lady Vols. We're, as I'm recording this, we're two weeks away from the start of the season for the men's team. And then by the time a lot of you are getting this and listening to this, it'll be Wednesday, which will be two weeks away from the start of the Lady Vols season. So we're almost here. I know obviously a lot of people in, in Knoxville and in Vol Nation are still in football mode not necessarily think about basketball. We know this podcast has a pretty solid listening listenership of of Tennessee basketball fans and also just Tennessee athletic fans, but people who care a lot about the Vols and Lady Vols specifically. So hopefully you guys are as excited as I am. I, I have a, a lot of excitement and high hopes for both teams this year. I'm not trying to get unrealistic expectations. Uh, Gene and I will probably share our predictions for both Lady Vols and Vols season probably next week, I would say. I'm trying to figure out schedule-wise because I know obviously the 9th is on a Tuesday, 10th is on a Wednesday, so I don't want to do it like too early in the week because then, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll have them here the next two weeks, our, our predictions for the season for Tennessee and probably some SEC predictions as well, but we'll, we'll share those with you here in a little bit. But I'm very excited for this season. It's kind of hard to believe it's already here, basically, a couple weeks away, and then we'll have some pretty big non-conference matchups for both schools uh, Tennessee and the Lady Vols both have some pretty big time non-conference matchups before beginning SEC play and then of course once SEC play begins uh, the Vols and Lady Vols still have one big non-conference matchup in the middle of that Lady Vols taking on UConn Tennessee taking on Texas so you'll see those two obviously within 
the middle of the SEC season, and then you know both teams having some big time SEC matchups. Vols is always taken on Kentucky a couple of times. Lady Vols against South Carolina, Texas A&M, um, and then you know Tennessee also playing teams like LSU and, and Auburn uh, on the men's side of things as well. But without further ado. Here is my interview with Ryan Shuppert. Again, thank you, Ryan, so much for joining. He, he plugs his stuff here later on, but I'll, I'll mention this also in the interview. But I'll have his notes and observations from Tuesday's practice for the men's team um, linked in the show notes here. So linked in the podcast description. So if you're looking at the podcast description uh, to see what this episode's about, you can find a link to his practice observations from Tennessee's Tuesday practice. So here's my interview with Ryan about Tennessee basketball practice and what he thinks of the team so far. And I have with me here today as a special guest on the Vol Basketball Fever podcast, Ryan Shumpert. He is a beat writer for Rocky Top Insider, which, oddly enough, is where I used to work. So nice to have you on the show, Ryan, and, and welcome aboard. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, excited to talk a little ball with you. And yeah, excited or I'm trying to look for the right word here. Thankful for all, all the good work you did at RTI over the years to uh, to pave the way for uh, me and Rick, who are, are certainly a joint opportunity. Well, hey man, it's good to have you on. I didn't I didn't choose you just because you work at RTI. I, I chose you because I, I think your work's really good, and I think you do a really good job of of covering all the sports, really. But I, I, I've really enjoyed seeing your uh, basketball and baseball coverage and just different stuff you've done for RTI, and obviously bring you on here because of your men's basketball coverage. For Tennessee, you have been, I think, probably to all of the uh, open practices for the media. You were just at the one. We're recording this on Tuesday evening. You were just at uh, Tuesday's practice along with Tennessee's media day. We got to speak to uh, Rick Barnes. I think the, uh, the players and stuff were out. Uh, they were asked questions and stuff on, on Twitter. I saw the thread going on on the official Vault um, Hoops account. So before we kind of get into some deeper subjects here, uh, what was what were some of the takeaways you had from today? Because I saw a lot of different quotes, especially with Rick Barnes talking about uh, – he, he was asked about NIL stuff. He was asked about uh, different injuries and stuff. I know John Fulkerson, obviously, uh, was named a preseason first-team All-SEC player, uh, So by the coaches at least. So what were what were some of your takeaways from the Tennessee Media Day on Tuesday? I think from Barnes, it probably started with the stuff he said on the injury note with Fulkerson having uh, broken his thumb. He'd been out there with a cast, I guess, the last two weeks uh, anytime we'd seen him or we'd seen them practice. And so he's he's out Saturday for, for the scrimmage, but I think he'll be back for the start of the season. And then Jonas Adu still uh, – still down with a, a sickness that's plagued him the last couple of weeks. So those guys uh, still out right now, but he, he got into a lot of interesting stuff. And one thing that I think maybe not what he said, but the, the passion he said behind kind of talking about the team camaraderie and just how different last year was and how it just wasn't for him nearly as fun just because of the COVID restrictions and not being able to hang out in the locker room and in the players lounge uh, that they like to, you know, we hear players talk about it all the time. Coach Barnes hanging out with them and, you know, his sense of humor and how different he is off the court and on the court. And they didn't really have that last year. And obviously we knew that, but the degree that the Barnes talked about it, I thought was really interesting. And then uh, another thing that uh, I thought was one of my big question marks on, on this team is what they'll look like defensively. I had a chance to ask Coach Barnes, a couple other coaches, that with all the guys they lost and all the newcomers, you know, Tennessee's defense is it's pretty complex for a college basketball defense. And you know, how, how are those guys grasping that, the young guys? Um, do they understand the importance of each each possession, things that Barnes always harps on with young guys? And they, you know, you didn't really get coach speak answers. They were kind of honest about it and said, 
some of them, you know, are getting it, but a lot of them, frankly, aren't. And I think Barnes said specifically that he felt like the guards were in a good place of understanding stuff that some of the big men still needed to develop. And I appreciated that honesty, and I thought, you know, some of that made a lot of sense. So uh, there were there were tons of stuff. It's uh, shout out Tennessee's communications department. It's one of the best days of media all year we get. So it, there was a ton of good stuff from it. Nice, awesome. I, I saw Barnes also praising a lot. Uh, of Santiago Vescovi, I think he called him the most improved player of, of the offseason. How much have you gotten to see of him in practices, and and would that, in your in your opinion, kind of hold true to what Barnes said? Yes, I don't know if Barnes said it with such an emphatic tone. I don't know if mm-hmm. I, you know, would have said it with that. He hasn't just popped out to me as being way better, but <clears throat> I do think he looks much better on the defensive end, which. You kind of wonder for a guy whose limitations are what Vescovi's limitations are, how much better can you get? But Barnes talked a lot about how he's in a lot better shape than he's ever been. And he really has. He's he's played much better on the defensive end. Now, they're not going up and down all the time in practice, which is obviously different from games. But I think he's made made some steps, and I, I think he's looked a little bit uh, more polished in his ability to score within the three-point line. Not that, again, he's not Kennedy Chandler with the speed, but I think he's doing a better job of, finding spots and coming off screens and finding situations where he can score, hitting mid-range jump shots or getting all the way to the basket, which is something that he hasn't been great at and I think really was probably better at his freshman year than he was last year. Speaking of speed, I feel like everyone has been mentioning uh, Zagai Ziegler, and, and we here on the show talked about it when he uh, officially signed Tennessee, and I got to talk to his coaches and stuff. It, it seemed at the time from seeing his film and people I talked to and stuff about him that Tennessee, I believed, had gotten a steal, and I, th- you know, not expecting him to be a massive contributor here in year one, but I think, you know, as long as he's healthy and stuff, I, I think the future is pretty bright for him. It-, it seems like Rick Barnes has raved about him a lot. Michael Schwartz has raved about him a lot. Uh, do you also want to rave about him here on on the show, Ryan? Yes, I do, and he was a guy that immediately, you know, stuck out first time we got to watch him practice a couple weeks ago. And he's impressed me basically every single time. We've gotten to watch them practice four times. One of them, he was a little banged up, so didn't go the whole time. But those three other times, I mean, he was he was really impressive. And uh, the speed, uh, for one, which you let in with Kenny Chandler talking to him today, he said he's the first player that he's ever played with that's been as fast as him. And I think that's mm. – uh, I wrote in my practice observations today, I think Zegler's addition, uh, no matter what he does this year, which – is still a big question mark how much he can contribute a guy that graduated high school a year early really really short not you know has some growing to do in the weight room but I think it's going to be a huge plus for Kennedy Chandler because he does not back down from him he is a really competitive guy tough nosed physical plays hard doesn't give an inch to Chandler and you know there's no one else on this Tennessee roster that's as quick as Chandler as fast as Chandler that could give him that look and certainly uh he does. Ziegler doesn't present all the same, you know, all the great defensive uh, specialties that Chandler will see this year. But I, I do think that has created Chandler to be a little more dynamic, try to score in different ways, try to create stuff for his teammates in different ways, and just using his speed all the time, which up to this point in his life he's really been able to do. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was kind of my follow-up question was, is, is Zakai's addition to this roster – do you? I guess, how do you view the competition at point guard? Because obviously, I mean, it's Kenny Chandler's position there. I mean, Zeke was not going to steal that starting, excuse me, starting spot away from him. 
But I imagine, like you said, that speed and the, what he can do defensively, and just kind of what he is as a, as a pesky defender, is different than what a you know, for example, what a, a Viscovi can do, what a Josiah Jordan James or the what Justin Powell can do. I, I'm I'm curious how you see that point guard spot, and does this maybe. You know how, how does it impact your view on Kenny Chandler? Do you think he's going to be maybe even better than what you had anticipated because of that competition and, and what Sakai brings to him, the, the table there? I would say I'm in wait and see mode. I definitely think it's a positive. You know, mm-hmm. just how much of a difference is it going to make? It's hard for me to say. But uh, when it comes to what role he, Ziegler can gain, I think it's it's going to be about it's going to be about him. You know, it's not going to be. I think he's the he's a natural point guard. Vescovi isn't Powell isn't James as you mentioned. I don't think those guys are. So I think it's about if he can gain the trust of Barnes and the rest of the coaches. I think he's going to play. Now, that's something I asked Schwartz today. What do you what do you envision his role being? And he did kind of give me some coach speak, speak on that one, which I, I don't blame him. And he asked a question that that specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and it, it's it's hard to say, but he's talented talented offensively. I think he could 100% help this team in, in that way. Can he understand everything they want to do defensively? Does he become – Tennessee likes to switch a lot on screens. Does he become a liability when you want to switch on screens? Uh, I think those are the types of questions. Can he hold up uh, against more physical, bigger, stronger guards that teams throw at him? I think he can, and you know we'll have to wait and see on that. But uh, – I wouldn't rule out him earning a serious role on this team, but at the same time, you just have to. I just have to. Check, or I say we. I just have to check myself, you know, because I, I think like that. And this is a guy that didn't even was a senior in high school two months ago. He he enrolled after the semester started at Tennessee, committed in August, or maybe it was late July, but I believe in August. And is five eight, you know. So it's he's not a normal player in a lot of senses. He has a lot of things working against him earning consistent playing time uh, early on but he's really talented and from what I've seen in his toughness and the way Rick Barnes the way Mike Schwartz rave about him I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the deeper they get into the year if he's earning a serious role sticking with that position and, and sticking you know talking about Candy Chandler too here what's been your take on him so far because I've heard a lot of obviously good things about him but I, I think with his speed and just kind of I think it was both Schwartz and maybe Barnes both mentioned the fact that they have, you know, it feels like a true point guard on the roster now for the first time in a couple of years. I think that that to me is what's going to define this team more, you know, what's going to help them more over, I guess what they've not had the last couple of years as a, a true point guard. What, what's been your take on Chandler and what you've seen from him in practices so far? I think you're exactly right. And I'll go back to Chandler in a second. I'm going to kind of sidetrack to a different point. Mm-hmm. That's one of my big questions, kind of looking at this team in the back row. I don't. It's, I have a hard time not seeing them taking a step back defensively with losing Pond, Springer, and Keon, and having so many young guys that are going to play. So to me, the question becomes, how big of a step forward can they make offensively? And Chandler, not only his star power, his abilities, but the fact that he's a true point guard and everything I've seen from him, completely indicates that he's great at getting his teammates open looks he seems to be getting more and more comfortable in running Tennessee's offense I think that's going to be just the biggest jump what will or the reason we'll see a big jump from Tennessee's offense that's the number one reason and you're right they really haven't had that guy since Jordan Bone uh, a little bit of Lamonte Turner to next year obviously he had season-ending sh- shoulder surgery in December but since then they haven't had any anybody that can do anything similar to the Chandler and for one, just those true point guard ability is going to be huge. And then two, he's a playmaker at the same time. I mean, he 
in transition, really, really hard to defend, good shooter, can't go under screens on him. I mean, I think there was twice today that he had a pretty high ball screen, a couple feet above the three-point line, defender went under it, he hit the three. So he can do a little bit of everything, and he's going to be a, a really crucial part of this team. So I have a couple more questions about specific players. But I'll get to them in just a second because you, you mentioned something there that I wanted to go ahead and kind of hit on now while we're, while we're still kind of talking about this backcourt. What's the? I know it's hard to really gauge it without seeing it in a live game setting, without really seeing, you know, I guess you know the the last this past weekend that wasn't open to the media of the I guess the the scrimmage or whatever the exhibition where you've been caught with Dayton. So I know you didn't get a chance to see that. Um, but what you've seen in practice, I know it's hard to gauge again. But what does this team look like as a a three point shooting team? Because that that was another thing besides getting a true point guard that I think Tennessee really really needed to address from the last couple of years is that they've not been a consistently good three-point shooting team. You've had, you know, Victor Bailey hit shots, Viscobi hit shots, uh, and then Springer had a, a good three-point shooting percentage last year, but he didn't take a ton. And you'd had a lot of cold spells last year where the team as a whole wasn't making three-pointers, and it, it really was able to allow defenses to clog the lane because, you know, you tried to penetrate, couldn't dish back out, and you miss a three, and then they're able to grab the rebound. So what's what's it been like, you know, what has this team looked like shooting threes in practices? I think that's a, a really good point. I think you're you're on the money on it, and uh, it's not. I tried to explain this and was getting some heat for it in one of my other practice observations. So I don't think I did the best job of explaining it. I don't think they have a ton of guys that are a lot better at three point shooters than Victor Bailey and Viscovi were last year, and I think both those guys were probably a little disappointing. I, Justin Powell, I do think, is the one exception exception there. He's just been phenomenal uh, mm-hmm. three point shooting. I mean. You, in practice, you don't see him miss many. But where I do think this team takes a big step forward is one through three, and even uh, in a lot of lineups, I think one through four, There's an, all those players are going to be able to shoot the three consistently. They're not going to be timid shooting it. Teams are going to have to respect them. And when you get into what you were saying about Tennessee's offensive struggles last year, so much of, of that was because Keon Johnson couldn't shoot the three. And Jaden Springer, while, like you said, had a good percentage, and I harped on that all season last year. I didn't understand why they didn't have him shoot more. He didn't shoot many. So teams, he was dry first every single time. So teams wanted to sag off him and really sag off Tennessee's defense as a whole. So where I don't think you're going to have multiple guys going out there shooting 39 40% from three, I think you're going to have much, much more guys that can shoot in that 33 the 38 percent range and that's going to make teams respect Tennessee's defense a lot more and when you have a point guard like Kennedy Chandler with the quickness he has that's just going to set up more lanes for him to get in the paint and score and create opportunities for other players yeah I think it's a good point I, I don't think you need you know a Steph Curry you don't you don't necessarily need one guy well I guess if you look at the Splash Brothers you had two guys but you know what I'm saying you, you don't need a guy out there yeah. who's making 40 42 percent of your of their threes if you if you have guys, like you said, that are in that range of at least connecting on 34, 35, 36, 37% of their threes, and you have four or five, three, four or five guys can do it. That that reminds me of the Auburn team from the past. It reminds me of, you know, I guess not quite to that extent because Alabama was making at a higher rate, but Alabama last year that can make a, a bunch of different guys can make threes. You had, you had a, 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 you know, your post players making threes consistently. So I, I think you're pretty spot on there. You don't necessarily need a guy connecting on 45% of his threes. If you have four guys, you can hit 35% of their threes. That that really helps you out as a team. Um, and that you mentioned there about Powell. He, he was one of the guys who I was going to ask you about because obviously he's a, a big newcomer. He and Kennedy Chandler are probably the 
two, I guess, highest profile, most anticipated newcomers for Tennessee. You could probably mention Huntley Hatfield, who I'll, I'll also ask you about here in just a second, too. But I, I would say Kenny Chandler and Justin Power are the two ones that Vol fans are most anticipating because Chandler is a five-star point guard. Powell looked pretty good at Auburn when he was there before he got hurt and set out. So from Powell's perspective, you mentioned him and his shooting. That, that to me, is exciting to hear as, as a person hoping Tennessee does really well on, on the court this year hearing that Powell has not been missing very many threes is very exciting uh, what else does he bring to the table what, what else have you seen from him other than his three-point shooting prowess well I think it's just his shooting prowess as a whole I, mean, I don't mm. think it's as simple just as a three-point shooter I think he does a good job of pump faking going one two dribbles in shooting in the mid-range I think he's a good shooter in, in a lot of different ways he's just not a spot-up shooter from three-point range he can do it off the dribble. He can come hard off screens. I mean, he's really impressed every single way when it comes to the shooting. Uh, he's not the most athletic guy. Uh, I'm curious how that's going to translate on defense. I don't think I've gotten a great feel of that uh, so far in practice. And he's not the most physical guy. He's a great finisher at the basket. He's certainly a capable one, but he he isn't excellent there. And I think it's it all, everything for him just goes back to the shooting. And it's the way he can get it done in multiple cases. And I think when you look at that, and he's a transfer, and he played at Auburn last year, so he kind of has different expectations, or he's at, and he is in a different place in his career. But at the same time, he's, he's still a freshman. He has four years to play for Tennessee, and I think that, in the end of the day, that's the most exciting thing about uh, Justin Powell is he's got – he's really – if you're looking at him as a true freshman, I mean, he'd be one of the most polished true freshmen I've seen. Now, of course, he's not a true freshman. He's already been in college for a year. But he still has those four years to play, and Tennessee's going to be able to work with him and develop him, and I think his potential is certainly really high. No, I mean, that's a good point. When We've talked about that here on the podcast. I mean, he played 10 games last year, and he, so he didn't even play half the season, and he only played in two conference games. And granted, they, Auburn played Gonzaga, and they played, I want to say, two more, like two other you know, pretty good non-conference Memphis teams. Memphis was one of them. Yeah, right. So he, he's played against some decent competition in those 10 games, that will also play the number one team in the country against Gonzaga. But you know what I'm saying? Like he, he played not bad yeah. competition in 10 games, but 10 games, he didn't play the last half of the year. And like you said, uh, he's basically, I almost, I almost liken him in a way to Harrison Bailey for Tennessee's football team. And the fact that Harrison Bailey didn't have a traditional freshman year because of COVID. And then he, he played, but it wasn't like he played a full season. So he's kind of like a, a freshman plus almost, or like a, maybe a, a sophomore minus, I guess maybe you could say <laughs> he's a second year yeah. player, but he's not like a, a traditional second year player in any sense of the term. So I think that's a really good way of explaining it. You know, just because if Powell doesn't necessarily live up to the hype or the expectations of all fans this year, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much because he has another, three years to to worry about that so um you know what what do you foresee his role being obviously with rick barnes with basketball in general just because you start doesn't mean you're going to play 25 30 minutes you could be a starter and only play you know 15 to 18 minutes and the 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 sixth guy off the bench the first guy off the bench is playing more minutes than you so what what do you foresee here with you know we're two weeks out from the start of the season again early season rotations are going to be different than what we see in february march but what kind of role are you foreseeing Justin Powell being? Do you see him as a starter? Do you see him as one of the first guys off the bench? What, what do you think his role is as we're heading into, uh, I guess, late preseason type stuff now? Going into the day, I really thought him and Viscovi, I was kind of, I thought one of those two guys would start, kind of right on the fence, didn't really have a great feel for it. The way Barnes talked about Viscovi today, it kind of made me feel like Viscovi's probably going to be that starter. I mean, he just yeah. raved about him and, Barnes has obviously always been a guy that's high on Viscovi, but I'm not sure I've ever heard him 
outside of maybe the first few weeks when he was just talking about how impressive what Muscovy was doing arriving at the midterm. I don't think I've ever heard him speak as glowingly as he, he did today about Muscovy. So I think he's going to be one of the first couple guys off the bench. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes. As you know, typically Rick Barnes' teams and rosters, he doesn't play a ton of players, but he really leans on seven or eight guys who play a lot of minutes, starters or not. And he's he's definitely, in my opinion, going to be in that top group uh, playing a lot of minutes. And uh, one thing that I, I really probably left out about him as a player, he's deceptively tall. I mean, white guy, really good shooter. You think he's going to be a smaller guard maybe, but he's six six. And I think if Tennessee, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but I think Tennessee, uh, depending on how their post-step develops, might have to play a lot of those lineups again where Josiah James is at the four. And I think when James is at the four, I think Powell at the three would make a lot of sense just because he was a really good rebounder last year at Auburn. Obviously, James is an elite rebounder for a wing player. And I think uh, those two guys can uh, alleviate some of the pressure on Fulkerson, Camwa, Huntley Hatfield, whoever else, maybe Plastic, if he can earn consistent playing time uh, with the rebounding down low. Yeah, you're spot on. I was about to move into the post. I'll get to kind of the uh, the front court kind of in general here in a second. I, I want to ask you specifically about really the the two guys I think that have garnered the most attention. Obviously, Fulkerson's always going to get attention because he's a huge fan favorite. Um, but really, Brandon Huntley Hatfield and Olivia Camar are the two guys that I've heard the most talk about from the post this offseason so far, this preseason, wherever you want to call it. Let me ask you first about Camar because I think he's been – to me, one of the bigger surprises, I guess, because we, we talked about him before practice began, Gene and I did, about how Tennessee really needs him to have a, a, a breakout kind of third year. You're not, not coming in and averaging, you know, 13, 14 points, but, you know, being breakout in the sense of you can rely on him to play pivotal minutes and play a good chunk of time and, and be a, a solid four for you. And it seems like so far out of, you know, the practice and stuff that, that has been happening and what we've seen reports from, you know, media folk like you and from coaches both have been that Camel's kind of finally, you know, finding his, his own finally. It seems like, you know, he's, he's selling into a role. It seems like he has, uh, now he seems like he's shooting three pointers and stuff. So I, I'm curious your thoughts on Camel and if you think he's going to be a guy that um, can crack at the starting lineup here at the beginning of the year. I expect him to, and you're right. I mean, Tennessee, I don't know if gamble is the right word, but they put a lot of faith in him this offseason. That's the one – I mean, Rick Barnes and his staff had a fantastic offseason with the way they reshaped this roster. But my one criticism of it was I, did, I thought they should have gone out and gotten another post-dig. Uh, grad transfer mm-hmm. big, uh, excuse me, or transfer big. Someone with some experience. Because even with Huntley Hatfield, who we'll get to in a minute, and Jonas Adu, who was a big recruit, you see a lot – the big men who are big recruits, a lot of times it takes them a little bit longer to get with it and get into a college system. So when they did that, they didn't bring in any transfers. I That told me they had a lot of faith in Cam Waugh and they had a decent amount of faith in Plasich too. And Cam Waugh was a guy who I always thought had the talent. He just, and in flashes, man, he looked, he looked like a guy that could give Tennessee 10 to 15 minutes a game. And you know, that was, I think, one of the more frustrating things about, about last season, watching Tennessee and their struggles and their lack of front court depth is that Cam Wan is just, he had games where he looked like a guy that could, or really even stretches where he looked like a guy that could give them that 10 to 15 minutes a game that they needed. And then you'd see him not play. You'd see him play and struggle for five minutes. But uh, he certainly, uh, echoing everything you said in kind of that intro, 100% think he's made that next step, taking a step forward. Obviously kind of need to see it in the game to feel 
completely uh, justified with that opinion, but he looks a lot better, kind of falling in the mold. I mean, Tennessee's had a ton of guys that have taken huge steps in their third year. Jordan Bone, Kyle Alexander was one of the biggest. Use Pond's mm-hmm. another huge one. And really, Admiral. Admiral was good his sophomore year, but he didn't become the Admiral uh, until his junior year at Tennessee. So uh, and I'm not trying to – maybe that's me putting too much on Cam Waft because I don't think he's going to go out and be an all-SEC player. But I do think he's a guy that's probably going to be capable of starting. I think he probably will start at the beginning of the season. And uh, talk to him today. He said he's doing a much better job of not taking uh, – the coaching too personal and he said he always knew that he knew the coaching wasn't personal but he struggled with that and he he put big expectations on himself and he says he's he's doing a much better job of just going play to play and not being having so much going on in his head and that i think more than anything is what stands out about him uh he's a little he looks better on defense end he looks better he's kind of added a three-point shot which you hinted at too which i think is another big thing for that spacing we were talking about a minute ago but more than anything, he just looks decisive with the ball. He looks comfortable. He looks like he's not thinking too much. And uh, for a guy that the talent's always been there, I think that's probably been the most important thing for him to see. And we'll see. Can he keep on doing that in games? Practice are different from games. But uh, he certainly seems to have turned the corner in his preseason. That last part you mentioned about the confidence being there, that, that that's the biggest thing to me because, like you said, the skills level, skill level's been there, and he's shown it in flashes. But what really – stood out to me in his first two years and granted I mean I understand because he is transitioning to playing a different style of four than what he played overseas and then obviously the COVID year last year he didn't get to, to develop the way that he you know that you would like for him too the thing that always stood out to me was watching his lack of confidence handling the ball his lack of confidence when he get the yep. ball in the post he, he didn't he hardly ever went up with authority he kind of seemed I wouldn't say lost but he, he did like 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 you just said, that he didn't have confidence in his shot. He didn't uncertain. have confidence in his game. Right, uncertain. That's a good way of putting it. The fact that he has confidence now, I, I hope that sticks through and when it's actual game time, when Tennessee's actually on the court, not just on practices, because that would be, that to me would be the biggest thing, because he's got the talent, he's got the size. If he has the confidence now, that's that was the, kind of the last missing piece for him. So that's that's really good to hear, and I, I hope that sticks through, you know, here in November, December, and then moving on to uh, conference play in the SEC. The other big man I want to ask you about is, of course, Brendan Helmy Hatfield, uh, the other five-star. Well, I guess technically, you know, Jonas Adu is a five-star too, depending on what service you're looking at. But Helmy Hatfield reclassified, uh, coming to Tennessee. I'd say a, a fair amount of expectations. There was talk about him being a one-and-done type of player. I guess there, you know, there still is, but it seems like he has been. I, I don't want to say doghouse, but it seems like he's been a, a guy from what I've read of your practice reports and other people's practice reports and stuff that, you know, Rick Barnes has definitely been on him a lot. And, for, and it, it seems like, you know, not that he's hating on him or anything like that. It just seems like it's, you know, it's our reports coaches. We, we all know that. But it seems also that Huntley Hatfield has been receptive to that and has been working hard at it. So I, I, I'm interested to hear what your takeaways have been about Huntley Hatfield so far. And he's a guy who I, I'm not expecting to be, I guess, a massive contributor at, at the beginning of the year. He's a guy I'll be curious to see if his role, how much it expands as the year goes on. But I, I do wonder what you've seen from him so far in practice and, and what your take is on him right now. He's a hard guy to kind of get a read on because he's certainly really talented. I mean, he has plays, he has stretches where you're like, yeah, that guy's a five-star and he has a good touch around the rim and he's full 6'10 that he was listed at. And I think that was kind of something with COVID and him already being a guy to reclassify Recruiting analysts, you know, they hadn't seen him in a year and a half before he came to Tennessee. So I think that was kind of a question. What is it? What actually, how tall is this guy? But 
he's tall. I mean, him and Jonas Adu are basically at the exact same height. He's really strong, or maybe not really strong, but he's not he's not a lanky Kyle Alexander or a Jonas Adu who's kind of lanky coming in. He's built well. He's built physical. Um, but at times, it is just consistency is the word that stands out. That stands out for a lot of freshmen. He, he's just inconsistent. Some some reps, he's there. He's dominant. Some reps, he's out of the play. Or there was an example today where I think Brock Jancic had him posted up and shot a little baby hook turnaround, and he just didn't put his hands up. You know, made the shot significantly easier. So he's a guy. I think I do think he's going to have a, a good sized role from the start of the season, just because. They kind of have need him to. They kind of have to. Mm. I'm not sure who's going to play those minutes if he doesn't. But to your point, I think he's a guy that's probably going to get a lot better as the season goes on. While he might play 15, 20 minutes a game from the start, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be scoring 10, 15 points a game in non-conference play. And he may not be scoring that in conference play either. But I, I do think he's a guy that I think has a lot of potential to get better as the year goes on and really be a solid player by the end of the year. Well, right. I don't want to keep you for too much longer as I know you have other stuff to do for RTI and, and everything. So I, I'll ask this and we, I'll probably have another question to put off this as well. But from what you've seen from practices so far, obviously, we still are another couple weeks away from the season beginning and even early season stuff. It, it still takes usually about a month for a team to really gel on the court, to, especially with this team when you have so many new faces and everything. But what's your feel on this team? Because I, I we've talked about it. I guess a few weeks ago at this point, we did our, our, our I guess our, our off-season roster review of looking at all the moving parts and, and kind of recapping everything that happened for Tennessee's roster and coaching staff. I really, really, really like this backcourt. I think there's the more the most depth Tennessee's had the backcourt in a very long time, uh, both a, a returning experienced guys who you, who you have faith in with uh, Viscovi, with uh, uh, Victor Bailey, and then some really promising new, newcomers with Justin Powell and Kennedy Chandler. You also you know, have you throw Josiah Jordan James in there. He's kind of a, a, a tweener guy, but you, you will see him probably more in the backcourt. Like he's mentioned earlier, he'll probably play some of that four. But I, I, DeBonjay is an interesting guy. Meshack's an interesting guy, too. I, I think this this whole backcourt, to me, has a lot of promise and potential. That front court though, is where I have a lot of question marks on what I'll be interested to see this year. Like you also mentioned earlier, how many times this year does Tennessee play small ball? How many times do you have a Fulkerson or a Camwell at the five, and then you have a Josiah at the four, and then you have three guards behind them. How many times does Tennessee do that, or how many times do they go more traditional, uh, a four and a five, and then have a Josiah or, or, or Justin Powell at that three spot, and then have two guards in the backcourt that are you know a true point guard and then kind of another two-slash-three guy there. So uh, I'll get to a little more specifics in a second about kind of your – "Quote unquote predictions for the season, but what's been your what's your feel on this team so far? Have they you know answered any questions you had? Have they brought up new questions that you didn't have at the beginning of the season so far or beginning of the off season? So I guess just overall, what's your what are some questions that got answered for you, and what are some new ones you may have uh, so far during practices? I think uh, it's about overall what I expected. I think questions you've answered. You know, Justin Powell was a guy that. I didn't know exactly what to expect just because what you said, that sample size was so small last season. I think he answers uh, the question mark of can he be a really good shooter for Tennessee because you mentioned that's why Tennessee went out and got him. They needed the shooting. And, yep, check, I, I think he's he's done that. And then you look at Tennessee's front court, I still do have questions about the depth and the consistency in particular. But I do think Camwa has taken a step forward, which was something that you really needed to see this year. So I think that's a check, too. Uh, I still think there are questions on defensive side of the ball 
and some of that's you know it's hard to get a feel for when you're just playing against yourself uh mm-hmm. it's hard to know what's good offense and bad defense but i really you know i said it at the beginning but when you lose east ponds who's probably the best defender tennessee's had in a really really long time if not ever and then james springer and keon johnson who were both good guard on ball defenders and i mean that that takes a lot off and you look at the guys that come that came back and, and had play, played a lot the scoby not known for his defense. Victor Bailey, not known for his defense. Josiah James is really the one guy who comes back and you go, that's a really good defender. You're not going to have to worry about him. And that's where his versatility could very well be really important this year if Tennessee struggles on defense. But still have a question mark there. And uh, as a whole, I think they've been, like I said, about about as I expected. And the newcomers have answered uh, some questions uh, I had about them. I think they've been as good as expected you know obviously there's still going to be growing pains but i think kenny chandler's the real deal i think justin powell brought what, what tennessee needed uh jonas to do is the one that especially now that he's missed i think going on two weeks uh with a uh, illness is, is what barnes said you're not going to see him have a big role before or early on in the season i would be surprised if you do this season at all and that's that's really something i felt even before uh he was out just watching him Talking to some people who watched him play a lot in AAU, raved about his talent, raved about his ceiling, just said he needed a lot of depth, a lot of maturity. And I think we got to watch him practice one time uh, before he, he was out sick where we've missed the last – he's missed the last three times that uh, we've watched him practice. A lot of that showed up. Uh, needs to, to add some strength in the upper body. Needs to add consistency. But certainly has a lot of talent. I, I just don't think he's going to be a guy that plays a huge role uh, right away. And that kind of goes – me having thought that kind of went into my my questions uh, with the front court why it makes Pam as Pam Wa's development so important. Yeah, and I think that's also something that, that we talked about in this podcast is uh, Gene from day one, basically like you said, has not been as high on a do as others has, and that, that that ranking doesn't necessarily mean that you have to come in and be an instant impact player. That that ranking of him being a high four star slash five star, depending on where you're looking, like you can be that kind of ranking and live up to that by year two, year three. And I think he's a guy that has, like you said, a lot of potential, but I don't know that we're going to see them him this year. He had a lot of, of growing to do, a lot of things to change about his game and, and learn. So, uh, But th- again, that's fine for him. But like you said, that raises a lot more questions about the front court and how much depth you have there and who you're going to trust to play there. So uh, I guess to kind of wrap it up here, what what are your expectations for this team? What What is your, you know, I'm not going to ask you for like a an actual hard hard set, like record prediction, but is this a team in your mind that's like a, a, a first weekend exit in the NCAA tournament, or is this a team that can make a you know push to the Elite Eight? I, I don't want to say Final Four, but you know, what what are your kind of expectations for this team? Is it a team that it's been picked? They were picked fourth by the media to finish in the SEC. Do you think that's fair? Do you think they could challenge for the the SEC regular season title, or you think they're going to finish more middle of the pack? So I guess overall, what are, what are your thoughts on this team and, and expectations for this season? Well, uh, I think four is pretty fair, and this is where it's going to have to fall, follow with me here. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the top five in the SEC predictions was Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama. I think all five of those teams are pretty similar. I think all five of those teams right now, I wouldn't be surprised if any of them won the SEC uh, regular season. But I do think Tennessee's probably more down in that four. I would maybe even say five uh, on that list. So 
you know, people here four or five in the SEC, and they're probably thinking, oh, this team's not going to be great by any means. But this is about the best the SEC has been expected to be. I mean, in my lifetime, at least, I'm 22. I can never remember going into a season thinking the SEC is going to be this good. But uh, I think they're going to be up there in that top group. Are they going to be able to, you know, go against a really hard schedule, even in conference play, uh, like they did, I guess, 12 and 6 uh, or 13 and 5 the year they won the SEC, or 15 and 3 the next year when they didn't win the SEC? Weirdly enough, how that how that works out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to be in a team kind of in that 12. 12 and 6, 13 and 5, 11, uh, 11 and 8 range, or 11 and 7 range. Goodness, what horrible math, Ryan. Um, so, <laughs> hey, you're, you're a journalist, well, not, a, not a mathematician. Exa- exactly. I've had to <laughs> remind myself of that a, a couple times as of late. But that's uh, that's uh, overall, I kind of think, in the SEC, how I see them stacking up. And when you get to the tournament, I think it's, it's hard to say, but it's because in tournaments, so hard to predict. And certainly Barnes mm-hmm. hasn't had a has had his struggles there in the past decade. But I think this is a team that the goal should be to make the Sweet 16. I think they're capable of making the Sweet 16. I think, you know, kind of as a program, I don't, maybe I'm in the minority is this, but, you know, as I look at Tennessee as a program, I think a Sweet 16 should kind of be the goal every season. I think Tennessee is capable of being a top 16 team or top 16 program in the nation. And uh, certainly they've made it to plenty of Sweet 16s in the last 20 years. So uh, they're, they're, uh, going to have a chance to do that i think i think they're going to be probably similarly seated to where they were last year three four five six somewhere in that range that'll give you a chance to play a team uh, in theory if you can survive the first round that's going to give you a chance to play a team that's pretty even with you for a chance to go to sweet 16 and when you get there who knows what happens you, we've seen uh tennessee have a 20 point re- lead at halftime and blow it and then win it overtime thanks to grant williams heroics which i still say rick barnes needs to be buying grant williams a mill every two weeks for how well Grant Williams played in overtime in that Iowa game. And we've done the same page. We've seen Tennessee lose to uh, Loyola Marymount and when you have one of a shot that I still can't believe went in. Uh, so, And right after a ball barely tips or nearly tips off a Loyola player's hands out of bounds in the game. So it's just so hard to predict uh, postseason basketball. But I think this team pretty accurately rated it in the SEC and a team that has the talent to make it to the Sweet 16. Well, Ryan, that's awesome. I, I... – Sounds a lot very similar to the things that we've been saying on the show, um, with obviously some variations there on, on, on some players and stuff. But I think that's a very fair assessment, um, I, and I think I agree with you honestly. I, this 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 program has the potential to be a consistent Sweet Sixteen type of program if they just need stability. When we Gene and I oddly enough talked about that, I think last podcast about how the, this program has not had stability honestly since uh, you know the, the Don DeVoe era. You've had multiple years, of, multiple times of just three years of a head coach, four years of a head coach, four years of a head coach, five years or second, six with, with Bruce, but then that got fired. He got fired. Then three with, with Conzo, one with Donnie. And then now you have Rick Barnes, who's been here longer than most any, most longer than any other head coach since Don DeVoe. So I think getting that stability is really going to help. I'll be interested to see, you know, what Tennessee does after Rick Barnes, but if they can, can maintain the stability there and not have a bunch of attrition every three or four years, that would certainly go a long way to helping Tennessee reach that potential in basketball. But Ryan, you've been great out here on the show. Really appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again some other time. But before we end the the podcast here, let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter, where they can find your work. Because I'll also plug uh, your most recent practice observations piece in the description of this episode. So if anyone wants to check it out and read up on what you had to say and, and, and what you saw at practice on Tuesday, they can find that in the uh, podcast description. But let everybody know where they can find your work and where they can find you. 
Well, first, I'm actually going to plug someone else because it goes off of what you were just nice. talking about. It's a good point. But Will Warren, I'm sure you've seen them and read them, Nathaniel, has mm-hmm. done an absolutely awesome series, an eight-game piece, kind of looking at eight specific games, but really more eight couple-year stretches of Tennessee basketball in the last 25 years. And Tennessee basketball in the last 25 years, I think, has been the third-best program in the SEC, a top-25 program nationally. And they've done that with no stability at, at the head coaching position at all. I mean, Barnes six years, and uh, we're going on a seventh year, and then Bruce's six years is the longest tenure you've had for anyone. So I think you hit the nail on the head with this program. If it can find stability, it really has the potential to be uh, an excellent uh, uh, program in the SEC. And I, what I truly believe is just an excellent basketball job in the country. But to move on, plug myself. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at rshump. Zero zero. That's R S C H U M P zero zero. RockyTopInsider.com, Rocky Top Insider Twitter account. All our work will be uh, on both those places. And like you said, practice report out from today. Some other stuff uh, from media media days today. But we'll also have tons of media days coverage the rest of the week. And uh, I know you have Lady Vols listener, tons of Lady Vols listeners on your podcast too. Lady Vols uh, media day Thursday, so we'll be there uh, providing uh, tons of coverage off on that too. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, Having me on and really enjoyed it. Glad to come on anytime. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 